This is Secure, hosted by Charles Latimer and presented by FinFit, a podcast empowering business leaders to build a financially stable and resilient workforce. Welcome, everybody, to the Secure Podcast. My name is Charles Latimer. Welcome back. Uh, Today, I am thrilled to be hosting Cherry Dale, the Vice President of Financial Education at the Virginia Credit Union. Uh, I've known Cherry for the past year, just a really dynamic person. And today, we're going to be talking about financial stability for women in the workforce. Cherry, thank you so much for joining us today. And and, uh, please introduce yourself. Oh, Charles, thank you for having me. I live in Virginia and I work for Virginia Credit Union. I've been here for 15 years at the credit union and it's been an amazing journey over the last 15 years seeing how financial wellness has truly evolved. That's excellent. So did did you start at the credit union in education or, or was that a part of an evolving role over time? Yes. So my background, actually, I was a kindergarten teacher for eight years in the public school system before I joined Virginia Credit Union. And our CEO at the time, Jane Watkins, wanted an educator to come spearhead her financial literacy Uh, initiatives in the community. So she brought me on. My graduate degree is in curriculum and instruction. So I knew how to design and teach. And then they were very patient with me that first year and taught me the personal finance side, the banking side. And so it's just evolved over the years and it's been a great fit. That's that's very very interesting because I, I, I I'm thinking back to the 1980s. Remember the um, that book, All I Needed to Know, I learned in kindergarten. Oh I, yeah, I <laughs> so so you you really taking that to the next level. I mean, so, so that, you, you've taken that to the right. financial wellness space. Well, they, tell me about that. I mean, what 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 did you learn? Uh, you know, in teaching kindergartners that that sort of transferred o- over into financial wellness and and you know just sort of building literacy in general. Right. I think what I took away from those years in education, there's really has to be a buy-in. There has to be a willingness to want to receive the information, regardless of if you're 5, 25, 55, or 65. Whatever your financial path is, you've got to be to the point where you're open to help or to guidance in order to get to the next step in your journey. Um, so we see that with children as well as adults. That's excellent. So, so talk to me a little bit about how your role has evolved over time and some of the work that you're doing today with the Virginia Credit Union. Sure. When I first began, it was just me. And uh, there really were not a lot of financial educators at the time working at credit unions. Like that was That was my entire role was to go out and educate in the community. Now, we've really seen that take off over the past five years, not only with credit unions, but other financial institutions in general, as everyone realizes the need and the importance of financial wellness. But when I first began, it was really like, okay, what do we need to do? Where do we even need to start? And so I started, just given my background in education, partnering with schools and in the school systems. Fast forward 15 years, I now have a staff of four 
full-time financial educators, um, and then myself, and we teach all the way from pre-K to retirement financial literacy courses. So we've really seen our program expand and evolve. When I first started, we started navigating and measuring as far as our reach. And in 07, we reached around 7,000 people with our programs, which is admirable. Last year, we were able to reach around 90,000. So, and we particularly saw during the pandemic, the need uh, for this financial wellness information in a different way. So we pivoted, of course, as everyone did during the pandemic and was able to uh, evolve our programs into more a digital approach. Thus, our numbers went from 30 to 60 within that year during the pandemic because more people were joining us virtually for our programs. Wow, that's extraordinary. I mean, that, that level of growth is phenomenal. I, and I, I'm curious, on a couple of fronts, one, would you mind sort of unpacking for our audience uh, the, maybe the difference between a traditional bank and a credit union? But most people, I, I, I don't think really sure. recognize the difference. Yeah. So banks are owned by shareholders, and we've seen lots of news and <laughs> lots of banks in the news right now, right, about the shareholders and how all of that is working. Credit unions are actually not-for-profit financial cooperatives. So we usually, we originally formed a particular group of people. Virginia Credit Union was formed over 80 years ago to serve Virginia state employees. Um, so over the years we've evolved, we have over 400,000 members, and um, we are owned by our members. So when you join a credit union, you deposit at our credit union $5 into your member share, and that makes you a member slash owner of the credit union. And so really we answer to our members, to the board, and our board of course is run by our members and in the decisions that we make and in the community that we serve. So it's a little bit of a different approach versus you know, building profit for your shareholders. Really the whole organization and the members are working together to benefit each other and benefit the community. Sure, now today we're talking about uh, women and financial wellness and financial stability. You know, all of the research uh, certainly points to the fact that women are disproportionately um, affected by, you know, financial instability, the impact that that has on the social determinants of health, whether that's security and housing or food or transportation. So talk to me a little bit. I know that you have some really wonderful programs. Would you mind talking to me about, you know, go all the way back to the beginning? Why, why did you design a program specifically for women and financial stability and success? So at Virginia Credit Union, we had been working with the Financial Health Network, which is an organization that helps other organizations measure financial health. We have been measuring our members' financial health for over eight years um, using their model of analyzing, looking at those four categories, spend, save, borrow, and plan. And over the years, we really noticed a trend within our own membership that women, compared to the men taking that survey, were more vulnerable when it came to their overall financial health. And that was consistent. Pretty much we've seen that every single year. But we especially saw during the pandemic 
that our women members became more vulnerable to their counterparts. Um, so given that information, we really wanted to design a program targeted toward women and their unique needs. Um, you know, society over the years have kind of labeled women as the caregivers and um, we, I as a woman as well, um, tend to be the one nurturing and caregiving for my own family, for our children, right? So we've got those different components of being uh, overseers of uh, care for our children, and maybe it's our parents. And I think those factors, along with the uh, gap that can come along with gender inequality and pay, and in the workforce itself, dealing thing with things like uh, maternity issues. I have a 26, a 21, and a six-year-old. <laughs> and so, and I can say maternity leave is really, really important. And for most women, they have to take unpaid 12 weeks, if they even get 12 weeks um, of maternity leave. And so there are so many different factors that can impact women. And we know that impact our women members as well. So we really wanted to design a program that was targeted toward women and met those needs. And so thus, two years ago, well, in 2020, we rolled out Financial Success for Women. And it was a virtual month-long online program for our women members uh, that would help guide them through their personal financial journey. We kicked off the initiative with Michelle Singletary as our keynote speaker. And then we concentrated on those four categories of spend, save, borrow, and plan each month. We evolved that the next year and we brought in um, a different kickoff speaker this last year was Liza Mickens, which is the great, great granddaughter of Maggie Walker. And we really wanted to bring in a perspective of this matriarch, this amazing woman who was the first bank president of a, that was a woman and black president, you know, as a woman and bring in her perspective as her great, great granddaughter and the matriarch of their family and give us some financial inspiration around that. And then giving our members those tools that they need under that spend, save, borrow and plan model. I, I, I'm curious what, um, I, how did you begin the process of designing that one? I mean, br bringing in those really strong, powerful voices, I, I'm sure that provided a tremendous amount of inspiration and, and really sort of ignited a community around that program. I, I'm curious, would you mind, because we're unpacking the design process a little bit for, for our audience, because I, I, I think that there are probably a lot of, you know, whether it be credit union or an organization, maybe a chief human resource officer or, or, or a, you know, somebody who's leading education and, and learning for an organization. I, I, how do you begin a design process that really at, at its, at its tap root sort of understands the very particular needs of women and, and, and arrives at learning objectives that are meaningful or relevant, not only learning objectives, but also an approach that is maybe a little bit different than you would if, if you're approaching a, you know, just a general population. Yeah. Uh, for us at Virginia Credit Union, I really, my team and myself come at it from three words, empathize, educate, and empower. And so when we think about 
diversity and inclusion and making sure that we are coming into the way we approach things from an equitable model. I want to make sure that the speakers that we bring in and the content that we bring in is diverse in and of itself. So that was really, as I was thinking through what this program was going to look like, I wanted to make sure that the content and the speakers that we were bringing in were going to be relatable to the audience that we serve. And we at Virginia Credit Union do have a very diverse membership. And knowing that, I wanted to bring in these uh, women that would be very relatable to our audience, but coming at it with an empathetic approach. One of the things I think I learned early on was you've got to know your audience and what they need. Uh, I remember when I first started, I was in a classroom in an underserved area and I was teaching on budgeting. And one of the students, she was probably 16, mentioned, well, what about my EBT? Uh, I can use that to go purchase my food. And I said, well, if you get, I had given them all careers. And I said, if you get this career, you would not qualify for that. And she looked at me and she said, well, why in the world would I want that career? And you're going to take away my food, you know? And so there was a disconnect there. But here I was, who am I to come into that classroom and tell her you need that job and I'm going to take away what you know for your food resource? It, it didn't make sense to her. And I realized in that aha moment that, hey, I've got to come in at, at a different approach in who I'm serving. For that young lady, her family, that's what they use to feed themselves, right? And it could have been her, you know, her parents, her grandparents, her aunt, uncle, but that is what she was familiar with. So empathizing within that situation and understanding where we're, who our audience is, is the number one thing. So I stood, stood back and I was like, you're right, I'm sorry. So let's think through this. When we're thinking through careers and what are your goals, let's come back and think about that. So I sat down with a young lady and we worked through some goals and then made some more connections before we went through, you know, the budgeting scenario. So it kind of hopefully pulled it together for her. But even as we're thinking about design theory for adults, who is your audience that you're serving? And for us um, being in this industry and serving our members for so long, I had a pretty good idea of who our women audience were. Uh, for us, we tended to reach around for our programmings and our measurement, women who were around 40, mid 40s seemed to be the peak age, 30s to 40s. There weren't a lot of younger women, but there were some. So over the years, I discussed that we were measuring our members' uh, financial health, including our women. So I kind of had an idea according to those four categories. And this is where it's great to understand your members' financial health and what areas they need to focus on. Those four areas, spend, save, borrow, and plan. Planning, they scored the lowest in. So I knew within my programs, okay, I need to bring in this component of financial planning into spending, saving, and borrowing, right? And integrate that throughout the time that we're together to make sure I'm hitting 
the competency that our membership needed the most. So coming at it through that approach. Yeah. I have two the questions board. there. Uh, so, so one, um, you, we, we all know that the earlier you get started in your financial wellness journey, the better off you are. You know, compound interest is is very helpful. <laughs> and, and so, one, do you have thoughts or strategies about how to sort of broaden the, the, the sort of the lens of accessibility in terms of, you know, trying to reach younger women? And, and, and then two, how did you integrate uh, planning into those other domain areas? One of the programs that we have rolled out this year is called RPS Save. So we're in the Richmond, Virginia area. We're opening four new branches within this area this year, and we've got many already established. But we're also opening a branch in the underserved community where it's really a banking desert as well. So knowing that need and placing our branches strategically to help the city in which we're serving, which is under-resourced, is vital. Then we're coming alongside that and working with the school system itself to get into the schools and teach personal finances. I worked with the school system in Richmond Public Schools for over six months. We designed a specific program for the schools, K through 12. We have an emo, a memorandum of understanding with the school. And we have a product where Virginia Credit Union will automatically give each student $20 if they open up a savings account. We've set aside $350,000 to fund these accounts. Alongside that, we have trained not just my team, but over 40 Virginia Credit Union volunteers are certified to go into the local school system and teach a personal finance lesson on savings. So we are working with the nonprofit communities and schools to get into each of the schools at RPS and teach those classes and offer that savings account all the way from pre-K to seniors getting ready to graduate. So that is some of the programming that we're doing within the city, which is an underserved area for Virginia Credit Union. Now, when we think about college and university, our biggest university here is Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University. When I first started the credit union for two months, every fall, I would go and teach a personal finance class to all of the students at VCU, freshman students, I will say freshman students. And so our relationship has just really evolved over the years. And the credit union believes that college is really important time for students making decisions that will impact them financially for the rest of their lives. And so it's important for us to be to show up. Then we endowed um, a five million dollar endowment to the university to create the financial success center at VCU. Um, through the School of Business. We have a director there. And through that program, we hire students, train VCU students to be money coaches to other students. And um, they get trained, we pay them. It is work study or you know, just pay them uh, as for employment to be financial coaches to other students, that peer-to-peer -peer financial coaching model. And then they present financial literacy classes across the university in different areas. So you know, being able to deepen that reach was really important. 
Yeah, I mean, your ability to, one, sort of marshal resources and get senior leadership buy-in is really just off the charts. And, and I'm, I'm curious, could, could you give a little bit of insight for for our audience as well, just to in terms of how do you not only establish senior leadership buy-in uh, for financial wellness, but to continue that buy-in and and as evidenced by resource allocation and investment in your programs over time. I met with people in the community. I met with teachers. I met with leaders within the community that we serve to find out what that need was. I then spent time analyzing that and wrote up a report and presented that to senior leadership about these are the needs within our community. And this is what my suggestions are to meet those needs. And really, that is a continuous approach that I've done throughout my time here. And it's circling back each year. And now the data is bigger, it's greater, you know, it's richer what we're able able to capture. So therefore, the buy-in is even bigger, right? Because our data is better. But ultimately, understanding what the company, you know, view is behind it. And one of the things that we found from our data is our members who are financially healthy have more products with us. They have on average 3.5 products versus vulnerable members have around two products with us. So when we look at return on investment, we know that healthy members will probably get more loans from us. We'll probably open up more saving certificates, et cetera. There's Talk to me more. about that, Jerry, because it, it specifically with your the Women uh, Success Program, is is part of that is sort of are, are you identifying vulnerable parts of the population and supporting them through a financial health ladder, as it were? Uh, and, and and what are those? And, and candidly, because I mean, you hit right on a, a really important topic here, which is access. I mean, you, you know, housing stability and, and financial security around things like transportation is, you know, if, if you don't have, you know, over a 700 credit score and you're financially healthy, you know, a, a lot of those, you know, in terms of housing and transportation, they can just be very, very difficult to access. And I'm really curious how your program addresses that and specifically how it addresses that for the vulnerable parts of your population. Absolutely. So the vulnerable population, the number one piece of advice I would give to someone who is in the vulnerable population is to seek support from someone, from an entity such as a credit union, such as a not-for-profit or a nonprofit out there in your community. One of the things that I'm really excited about this next year, we are partnering with the Salvation Army, and they are creating a Pathways of Hope program for women and um, who I think they're focusing on women who single moms are in this kind of realm and giving them wraparound services uh, not only from the credit union, but a social worker, um, products, things like that through the Salvation Army and doing research around that. Um, we are, again, partnering with our uh, counterpart, VCU, 
and we just applied for a $200,000 grant to help fund some of this research and this programs and all. And the model really comes from um, Drexel University has um, this model and they're, you know, they're taking that and we're all going to get trained on it. But I think sometimes there's a disconnect um, on people's journey. Oftentimes we make decisions when it comes to our finances and especially if we're in a vulnerable state, we might make the wrong decisions and not necessarily know or understand why we keep making those wrong decisions. This particular model focuses on a trauma-informed care approach to financial education. So it's more holistic. And for someone who's very much in the state of like flux, maybe they're homeless, maybe they've lost an income or, um, you know, that transportation issue is there. They need more than just a class. They need help in another way. So classes are great, yes, but let's also look at some trauma behind that. Let's look at connecting dots for you and giving you the wraparound services within the community that you are to help you get to the next level on whatever that financial goal is. So it's going to be different based upon what the need is. And that's where it's so in particularly challenging when it comes to that vulnerable space, because each need is going to be drastically different depending on the situation. You know, you might have a woman fleeing from a domestic violence situation and coming with a lot of trauma from that. Uh, financial trauma often occurs in those situations as well. So if you're in that, you need some specific financial coaching to help you set up next steps for yourself. So we're also partnering with a YWCA who has a domestic violence you know, program there and infusing where we can and helping the people in that vulnerable space to give them the tools that they need. The work you're doing is really just uh, profound to me. And so how do, how do you think in particular, the um, do you think that work on that sort of trauma-based approach is going to have a material impact on the financial success for women program that you have? And, and also, how, how do you build community around that? Yeah, I, I hope so. That would be the goal is then to, you know, to train myself and my staff on this approach. So when we're out educating, we're coming at it from this angle and keeping those tools and resources in mind when we're working, especially with the vulnerable population, and then integrating those findings within our own work um, through our membership. So, you know, working this particular pro program is directly with the Salvation Army. So they might not be our membership, you know, at that point in time, but we can certainly take what we learn within this model and the research. And this is where I was really excited about bringing in the university because they have the tools and resources to build the research program and know and understand what to look for and what outcomes really uh, would make this successful and, you know, kind of do that whole overall needs assessment. Um, and so we can take what the university finds and then integrate that, you know. Into yeah, what, what specific outcomes, what, what specific outcomes do you look for in, in a program in general, but in, how does that change when you are designing a program specifically for women? I think for, 
this particular program with the Salvation Army, it's really going to be individualized based upon the needs of the women within that they're working with. And this is, I do think, where that trauma-based uh, res- or trauma-based approach is so important. You can't just generalize uh, what success is financially for someone who's been through something very traumatic. It's going to be very individual to their particular needs or goals. And I, I then think you can take even uh, a focused case study out of an individual. So let's say an individual comes in um, and they um, lost their house. And so they're homeless. So their goal is to go, you know, to get housing. And what does that look like? What are those steps for that particular person? And you can create some programs around that and what worked for that particular person in the vulnerable space. But I think the more you educate yourself on these different things that people are, then you're, you know, you've got a lot of things to pull out of your pocket when you're meeting with people and when you're serving others. I think you bring up a really powerful point, which is sometimes you have to treat everybody the same by treating everybody different. Mm, and yeah. and when, when you do that, uh, you, you realize we each have our own humanity and, 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 and we, we have the, our own stories, as you say, our, our own particular traumas and successes and opportunities. And, and, you know, it, it comes down to a, just, a sometimes just a one-on-one connection and helping people, you know, go from A to B to C to D and and, and ladder up in their lives. And I, I I've certainly been a very very um, just fortunate in my life to have had mentors and educators th- throughout my life that have you know given me perspective in terms of reflecting on my own story and and the own op- the opportunities that i have in, in life that may, maybe are, are are different than others and so it it really is you do bring up just really wonderful points in terms of how to shape a program that is one outcome driven but to realize you're 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 really um, meeting the needs of individuals as, as they traverse very specific lives, and 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 you know it, whether that's trauma uh, based or or it's just situational in some sense. So I, I think um, it, it, it's really powerful work that you're doing. So I you know I, I would I would also just sort of open up you know for, for credit unions or organizations that maybe do not have the sophisticated programming that you all have at the Virginia Credit Union, how would you help an individual who is in your position make the case for financial wellness? What would you do from a programmatic standpoint? What data do you feel like those individuals need in order to tell a compelling story? And how would you approach that and, and how would you give somebody advice in that regard? I would plug in with the senior leadership and find out who they want to target. Is it students? Is it um, young adults or more based upon a larger uh, reach through 
you know, adults in general. But understanding what the target audience is the number one thing. When I first came on board, it was students. They really wanted to focus in on students. And that point in time, Virginia did not have an econ and personal finance course that was mandated in our high schools. Now, um, we do now, thankfully, and that was one of the first things I did was get on board and start lobbying for that. Each state is different based upon legislation and what's going on, but we're seeing more and more states get on board with this uh, personal finance requirement for graduation. But, you know, targeting students and young adults is a good thing for everyone, and it can really narrow your scope. So you know, okay, I'm going to really target the school system in which my area is that we're serving, or I'm gonna target the university, or even just start small, start with an elementary school. You can you know, just start with one um, and design curriculum, design education that is appropriate for that particular organization. I came in as an educator, we have standards of learning here, SOLs in the state of Virginia. And so we designed our lessons around those. So it made sense for educators to invite us in the classroom because they were meeting these core competencies that they had to teach anyway. And we supplemented that with the personal finance component. So making sure that you're integrating what they're asking for, even if it's not what you want to present, you're integrating what they're asking for within your presentation as well. And then what are your KPIs for those? When I first started, it was really about reach and it still is about reach for us. We wanna reach as many folks as we can with our personal finance message and the importance of financial wellness for yourself and for your family. That's really important. And we gauge our programs by the amount of reach and what we're doing. And it motivates our team to be able to get out there and do more and think outside the box in order to reach more people as well. Um, but, you know, numbers around how many people you reach, that's impressive to boards. That's impressive to senior leadership, even if it is one person, when it was just me, 7,000 people going from zero to 7,000 people my first year, they were like, oh my gosh, Jerry, that is awesome. That's huge. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, start, and just just uh, document what you're doing. I, I really do think it's really important to add documentation and data around what you can measure. So you can measure how many people are reached. You can measure the feedback from the teachers. You can do a pre and post assessment within the schools themselves to measure knowledge that they that their knowledge increased pre and post lesson. For adult membership, um, you know, we partner with the Financial Health Network and we've, we've got a survey tool now that we implement in all of our programming where we can measure the financial health of our members pre and post or just as we're going throughout the year. You might not have that survey tool, but, you know, look at what you can. What is the one thing you do want to measure? What question is important to your organization? Is it, you know, do you have enough liquid savings? Focus in on savings then and create a program around savings from you know, elementary on up. So there's different ways you can approach it depending on what the need of the organization is. 
I believe that Financial Health Network, they, they, they make that assessment available through a toolkit yes. and it's downloadable online. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link somewhere. But for, for, for those who aren't measuring and collecting data, I think, Jerry, you just gave an excellent point, which is, you know, I always say just begin collecting your data. Yes. Even if you're not doing analysis today, collect the data. And, yes. and, and so um, I would encourage everybody to go to Financial Health Network's website, get their toolkit, uh, so, so, certainly reach out reach out to me. Or I, I, I know Cherry is, uh, as my granddad would always say, you know, it, the, the lock's on the outside of the door. So, so I, 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 there are a lot of people out there willing to support these efforts. And so, but I, I would encourage that the, uh, the toolkit from Financial Health Network, they do a tremendous job. And one of the things I like about that too, is it is as a community, if we're all using the same uh, assessment methodologies, you know, it, it opens up opportunities for longitudinal research and, and, and that's going to make a big difference over the next decade. You know, we, we are, this industry is transforming right now. We're in a we're in a renaissance, and data is, is at the foundation of that, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but but what what is spearheading that, and, and what is certainly accelerating that, are, are leaders like you, Cherry. And uh, today's conversation is really tremendous. Uh, I, I think I'm I'm always struck by one your passion, your your intellect, and your insight, and in, in your discipline to a process. And, and just, uh, you know, it, it really shines through that you want to make a difference in your community and, and you're doing so. And oh, so, well, thank you, Charles, that's very kind of you. Oh, well, it, it, it's, it's very genuine. And, and I, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you today. And I would just open it up if, if you had anything else that you would uh, like to talk about in, in terms of maybe some of the future work that you're doing or, or, or some of the efforts that you're particularly excited by. So we are launching actually this month um, a digital on-demand version of our Financial Success for Women program off of our website at vacu.org. So if you are interested in learning more or just viewing the program in and of itself with the different modules, it's free. And you can do that, um, you know, just via the internet, which is a great. Um, so we really want to take that and expand that and as much uh, as as much as we can. Um, but our focus is continuing to be the city of Richmond this next year, really deepening that program with what we call RPS saves is our uh, financial education initiative there and then the university work as well. And then of course, um, making sure our members have what they need on their financial journey. Well, the, the you know, on behalf of the industry, uh, we really appreciate the Virginia Credit Union's uh, just spirit of generosity. Being able to share those resources is really powerful. Uh, and so I, I would encourage, uh, you know, our audience to go out and, and connect with that. We'll, we'll provide a link to that resource because uh, it's really important work. Uh, so once again, Cherry, I just want to thank you very much for the conversation today. It's always a pleasure. Uh, and, and so I, I look forward to our next one. Yes. Thanks for having me, Charles. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. 